Hello listeners and welcome to the Montel Weekly Podcast, bringing you energy matters in an informal setting. I'm Richard Sverison and today I'm joined by Philip Gladek, who's the founder and CEO of Spectral Energy, a company at the, the cutting edge of, of new energy technology. Uh, welcome, Philip. Thanks. Uh, thanks for the welcome and thanks for hosting, Richard. I, I'd like to ask by, you know, uh, if you could tell us a little bit about Spectral Energy and, and some of the projects you're, you're involved in, because you're, you're based in Amsterdam, just in a, in a very kind of vibrant, sort of a buzzy area north of the, the centre. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you could sort of yeah, tell us a little bit about the projects you're involved in. Sure. So, um, well, to introduce Spectral, we're a company focused on system integration. Mm. And our mission is really to help accelerate the transition towards 100% renewable supply. And we do that by developing technologies to help connect different devices together mm. uh, to uh, prepare for the future digital energy sector uh, and uh, yeah, developing energy control systems which optimize buildings uh, to save energy on heating, ventilation and cooling. Mm. Uh, we also develop uh, solutions for community grids and larger area level smart grids mm-hmm. uh, where we connect and optimize sources of renewable production, storage and flexible sources of uh, demand such as mm. EV charging points, heat pumps, mm. uh, as well as uh, large scale assets such as wind farms and, and grid scale batteries. Mm. Uh, so that's a bit the context of uh, the application areas that we focus on. And what's the underlying technology here? I mean, you mentioned blockchain. Um, is that is that one of them, but not only, not exclusively blockchain, as far as I understand? Uh, so we do use blockchain as a, a powerful tool to support certain functionalities within the work we do. Mm. Uh, and that's mainly in the side of... Uh, uh, the work around power trading and energy markets. Mm. Uh, so we see blockchain as yeah, uh, as a, a very valuable uh, IT tool that uh, can facilitate uh, settlement and transactions between uh, mm-hmm. yeah, not only peers, but also uh, between market stakeholders. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that has been a theme in, uh, in a lot of our projects. Uh, but more broadly, we focus on yeah, energy control systems. So really the, mm. uh, the digital backbone behind uh, the future energy sector. If you could go into some detail about how you use them, the blockchain, it's not just, if I understand you correctly, it's not just peer-to-peer, but it's also, you know, uh, microgrid to microgrid or device-to-device. I mean, sure. can you go right down to the granularity and then up to the bigger sort of system yeah. Uh, perspective? Uh, yeah, definitely. So maybe to give you a couple of examples uh, showing sort of the different flavors of how we can implement the blockchain as a technology. Mm. Uh, on one hand, we have um, a peer-to-peer trading solution which we're piloting or have already uh, started piloting in 2017 with a number of communities Mm. and there uh, we actually use blockchain uh, as a means to on one hand tokenize renewable energy into a physical uh, asset uh, that can be traded on the blockchain the example being the juliette uh, which was a project we did with the uh, largest grid operator in the netherlands Mm. in a community looking at how can you manage this uh decentralized exchange of value Mm. and also looking at the social aspects Mm. Uh, and there we developed uh, not only a software platform that allowed users to configure settings but also to manage their trading activities Mm. uh, but also a hardware solution uh, Mm. that is able to uh, extract real-time data out of uh, smart metering systems mm-hmm. and to transact that data onto a blockchain so that everyone connected into the system 
has a record of all the transactions and, and the data that's uh, been uh, committed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is, uh, for example, um, uh, one use case which we're uh, working on and further developing in the context of also new uh, upcoming projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, another interesting use case where uh, we're applying blockchain is uh, more on the side of flexibility trading. So mm-hmm. uh, we're working on, uh, on behalf of uh, clients of ours, developing solutions that can coordinate multiple flexibility sources that are bid by third parties or aggregators. Mm. So a sort of a virtual power plant coordination platform where third parties can connect and bid their sources of flex, uh, which then together as a pool are used to, for example, provide frequency containment reserves to Mm. the TSO here in the Netherlands, Tenet. Mm. Uh, And so uh, one of the interesting things which blockchain can support is Again, uh, the the settlement uh, and, and trading between these parties, because to give an example, one of the projects we're working on is a private microgrid mm. uh, with a community of 46 households. Mm. There they have limited uh, interconnection capacity on the uh, connection point with the public grid, mm. meaning that... If they want to use their 31 distributed battery systems mm. uh, to be part of this kind of pool to mm. deliver FCR to Tenet, well, FCR being frequency control uh, response, yeah. Uh, if, yeah, frequency containment reserves. Okay, um, oh, sorry, yep. <laughs> uh, or yeah. the primary reserve market here. Yeah. If they want to participate, and obviously the volume they have is too small to participate on their own, so they need to be in, in, in such a pool. Mm. But there are moments where in the winter, Everyone's cooking, uh, you know, cars are charging, uh, heat pumps are running to heat the houses. And, well, there simply isn't enough physical capacity on that connection point with the grid. Mm. Well, in those moments, platform can enable, and of course, via fully automated trading agents, Mm. a schoonschip to broker a deal with another uh, aggregator Mm. uh, to be able to pick up the slack for them. So Mm. if, if they can't at that moment discharge Mm. Uh, or rather charge their batteries uh, to deliver FCR for Tenet, Mm. this other solution provider can pick up the slack for them and that financial transaction can be fully automated via the platform. Mm. And using blockchain, all of these uh, different parties who might uh, not have always complete trust Mm. uh, for one another are able to share the data and also the uh, uh, immutable record of of the transactions which took place mm. uh, to deliver essentially uh, together as one unit mm. these services. So what are the numbers involved here? I mean, um, for example, you know, a small, you know, you're going from 36 or households to... Uh, 46, yeah. 46, sorry, to, you know, to, to big wind farms and, and your systems can, can deal with both of those. I mean, is there... Could you explain a little bit about the scalability of your technology or your, sure. your solutions here? Uh, yeah, so I mean, we're very much uh, focused on applications across, uh, you know, as you mentioned, from the household level up until grid scale systems. Mm. So our platform is scalable across all different technologies and we support the communication protocols which are used by industry for, you know, uh, SCADA systems for wind farms mm. down to uh, smaller scale residential batteries. Mm. So in principle, our platform is technology agnostic. And indeed, I mean, one, uh, to give a concrete case, uh, building upon the example I already gave, mm. uh, well, the Schoonschip community there, they have uh, 31 distributed battery systems, also smart grid-ready heat pumps and, and heat storage. Mm. Uh, we're now uh, uh, starting up a project to actually connect uh, their pool of, uh, of batteries 
together with a, uh, a number of batteries which will be stationed at a wind farm, which we're mm. also uh, controlling. Mm. Uh, and these batteries belong to a company uh, which is uh, renting them uh, for festivals and events. So they have mobile containerized batteries of around mm. 300 kilowatts per, uh, per unit. Mm. And they have 13 of these containers currently. Mm. So essentially we enable Schoonschip to gain market access mm. by bundling them with, uh, them with these larger uh, systems mm. uh, so that together they can um, yeah, still yield be able to provide these services to tenant and, and participate on this market. Mm. So it's not just really a, a, a you know a small scale of you know because often people mention microgrids and blockchain, thinking it's just small scale. It's neighbors trading a little bit of excess solar, but it, from what you're saying, it, it's much more. Uh, much more enormous you know it's much bigger than that uh, well yeah I mean uh, it has been small scale to date in that the pilot projects uh, uh, were you know have been focused on uh, getting the technology to a certain level of maturity but of course as we know uh, in certain applications around peer-to-peer uh, -peer trading there are some regulatory challenges which mm. which aren't let's say completely blocking uh, uh, these applications but there are definitely workarounds you have to implement to, to mm. make uh, these kind of solutions actually work in the current uh, structure of industry and, and regulatory frameworks. Mm. Uh, however, we are in the in the stage of actually scaling up. So the technology is reaching a more mature level. Of course, the buzz has has uh, a bit died down since uh, 2017, 18, when when everyone was talking about it. About blockchain, uh, yeah, 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 about blockchain itself. And now I think it's being indeed. Uh, applied as more of an uh, just a, simply a tool which can support different applications mm. uh, and it's not the right tool for every application because that was sort of the mindset uh, mm. in the beginning uh, that a lot of people had mm. uh, but definitely uh, when it comes to managing distributed value exchange between different parties who might have uh, some degree of distrust those are areas where it can definitely add value mm. uh, and we're also working on an innovation program uh, which is starting november 1st uh, together with the city of amsterdam mm. as well as um, there's a parallel demonstrator running in the uh, in spain in the city of bilbao mm. and uh, six other european municipalities are involved mm. aiming to replicate the efforts of, of what we're doing mm. and in amsterdam spectral is leading the uh, technical development of the uh, yeah, what we're doing here is essentially setting up a local energy market platform. Mm. We're connecting a number of our projects and, and pioneering energy mm. communities within the same district in Amsterdam called mm. Bauxelterham, mm. and we're actually uh, bundling together the volume of their their energy uh, uh, demand and, and the flexibility they have mm. uh, to provide them with this market access. And mm. blockchain in, is indeed used as. Uh, a fundamental tool within this uh, platform uh, to facilitate transactions between these communities, between mm. Uh, mm. Uh, these sources of uh, flexibility. Mm. Uh, and that uh, will, in the start of the program, we'll have around uh, 500 uh, households involved, mm. uh, not only households, but also businesses uh, like mm. a large hotel and, and other uh, commercial businesses. Uh, but we do aim to scale up uh, to the entire district level uh, mm. within the five years of the program. So at least uh, mm. 10,000 uh, uh, consumers uh, mm. connected to the system. Uh, and that's sort of our uh, first step towards scaling up uh, the mm. technology uh, to a larger uh, implementation. Yep. Very interesting. I mean, um, I will turn back to the uh, 
to, to the regulatory challenges here. But if we can discuss a little bit, you know, you mentioned the environmental credentials, or this was a way of facilitating the shift to a, to a, to a greener, uh, greener world, less fossil fuels, more renewables. But what are the economics here? I mean, what, what were the costs? Are people, is this, is this a, a costly transition or are you actually uh, bringing, bringing those down? Yeah, that's a very good question. So uh, I think, uh, and again, to bring perhaps the focal point of the conversation away from purely blockchain as a technology towards some of the broader applications we focus on in, in development of energy control systems. Mm. There, um, our company has been very much uh, commercially driven, so not relying on subsidies, but really looking at together with our clients, together with the market, developing solutions that have a positive business case. Mm. So uh, for one, the community grid uh, at Schoonschip, uh, which is quite a revolutionary project in that uh, via this legal exemption, they have uh, their own private microgrid. They mm. are legally actually by, via this exemption, their own grid operator, mm. their own energy supplier and their own energy producer. Mm. And if we look at the comparison between the status quo, so if everyone had had their own public grid connection with just PV on the roof, we took that case uh, over 20 years and compared it to uh, the case of the smart grid, the private net, mm. and uh, every household having batteries and, and these smart energy systems. Mm. And the payback period is actually around seven years. Mm. So without any subsidies, uh, the community has a highly uh, interesting business case through investing, of course, into their own solutions. and. You do need capital to invest uh, uh, upfront, uh, and mm. they did so with their mortgages, with loans, and uh, managed to yeah, pull the project off. But in other cases where we, for example, focus on optimizing uh, smart buildings, mm. uh, so we, we actually analyze data from large real estate portfolios. We identify buildings that are really underperforming in terms of energy mm. efficiency and or comfort levels. And we go in and actually take control of the building management system to, mm. to optimize the heating, ventilation and cooling systems. Mm. Well, I can share with you some results from initial pilots that are still ongoing now. Mm. But one, yeah. one case uh, was uh, where a building in Eindhoven of 12,000 square meters, large office building, which we're currently optimizing. So our business model works on a euro per square meter basis per year. So. It's roughly, let's say, in the range of one euro per square meter per year. Mm. Hence, uh, the costs for licensing our platform are in the range of 12,000 euros for that building. Mm. Uh, the results we've managed to achieve so far on the side of energy efficiency are uh, an average of uh, 1,000 euros per week in savings mm. with an estimate of at least 50,000 euros in savings mm. for one year. Uh, if we count the roughly 10,000 euros, it also costs it. Uh, for the capex for integrating our platform mm. and for setting it up for that building well that's about 20,000 euros in total costs for for the first year versus about 50,000 euros in savings mm. so there's an extremely positive business case mm. and that's also why this particular client has now asked us to roll out the platform across 66 additional buildings in mm. their um, mm. in their portfolio yeah. so there's uh, there's definitely positive business cases to be had in the smart energy sphere and not only the business case, but in that particular building as well, there was an average of seven complaints a month or so before we actually started our implementation. Mm. And between June and August, we had zero complaints uh, for climate. So mm. Mm. saving a huge amount of energy 
while actually also improving uh, the climate within mm. the building. Mm. Yeah, makes uh, makes a lot of sense. Um, if we can then return to some of these regulatory challenges, for me, is, is one, one of them, if, you having, if you're setting up an energy system that has a lot of these small microgrids, then fewer and fewer people are potentially using the, the, the high-voltage transmission grid, which mm-hmm. then becomes more costly. So there's fewer and fewer people sharing uh, you know, the costs of, of the upkeep and, and, and the maintenance and the, the construction of, of, of the grid. Isn't that problematic? Uh, yeah, definitely, and and it's not only on the the high high voltage, but of course, uh, indeed, the mid voltage networks, uh, and in general, um, you know, you point out an interesting uh, challenge which the energy sector is is uh, heading into is that uh, through investment into these microgrids, or essentially, mm. uh, I mean, they're still grid connected; they still have that point of coupling with the public grid. Mm. But in the case of Schoenscript, to give an example. Normally, the grid operator would be getting, you know, 46 times uh, the household connection, which is, uh, uh, yeah, on a, on a periodic basis, uh, quite a lot of money, you know, a factor 10 more expensive than what they pay uh, mm-hmm. just having their one bigger grid connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the same time, new uh, digital solutions allow for automation of, for example, our smart building platform gives mm-hmm. recommendations to users. Uh, to be able to reduce their contracted capacity, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and that's something that also is cutting out the profit margins of mm. these mm. Uh, of these grid operators, mm. and hence, yeah, here in the Netherlands, uh, because the costs are socialized uh, across well the the entire public, mm. that means as the profit margins uh, of the grid operators go down, mm. at the same time they have to invest into more infrastructure because electrification of mobility and heating is creating a lot of strain. Renewables are creating a lot of uh, pressure points in the mm. in the grid infrastructure, so you're getting a situation where uh, more and more people are sort of partially opting out or in other ways keeping their costs uh, for grid uh, uh, connection as low as possible while at the same time the costs are uh, getting higher for the grid mm. operators meaning uh, more costs will be have, have to be spread across mm. essentially a smaller group of people mm. so yeah this is a potentially a sort of death spiral if the current market models stay the way they do on the other hand I don't believe that's going to happen I believe policy and market mechanisms will evolve to address this issue. But this is a trend we do see uh, at mm. the moment. And in terms of other trends, I mean, you know, what, what does this, what you're saying here, your platform, your kind of systems, the, the, the world we're talking about here, where, where does the traditional utility sit? And where does that leave the exchanges or the, the middlemen who often uh, blockchain's been, you know, been referred to as sort of bypassing these middlemen is this the case here as well definitely in terms of certain uh, existing market players such as well obviously banks have a huge role in uh, still in that uh, transactions are you know financial transactions are all running through banks there's other service providers um, in terms of also um, in the Netherlands you have like parties like the EDSN which are responsible for energy data mm. a lot of these stakeholders uh, start to become less relevant if you implement solutions such as blockchain. Mm. Um, so for sure, there's going to be a, a big shift in uh, in existing market roles as this digital technology really takes way. Mm. My personal opinion is that the uh, the role of the energy retailer, the uh, the sort of you know administration company uh, mm. uh, as it's uh, traditionally been, 
the commodity trading aspect uh, is really uh, on the way out. Uh, mm. So that's also why all the big energy suppliers are looking for new products and solutions, moving closer to the customer or getting behind the meter. On the other hand, uh, I do think exchanges, trading platforms are still an important element. And while we see emergence of these local energy market platforms and more uh, peer-to-peer exchange, mm. yeah, there will always be an either excess or deficit that mm. needs to be purchased or acquired somewhere. Mm. And whether this happens on an exchange or via new mechanisms, uh, such as uh, you know some kind of forms of PPAs, mm. yeah, that is something that, that the future will tell. Mm. Uh, but so that's, that's a bit of what I see happening. And when it comes to grid operator role, well, for sure there will always need to be the infrastructure in place and, and a company that's maintaining it. Mm. In the context of these uh, private grids which we're developing, which mm. also EU policy is in, in large support of, mm. there we see uh, again more of a, uh, an approach where the traditional grid operators, the regulated bodies, of course, aren't involved there. It's commercial entities, mm. companies that take on the respons- same responsibilities. For example, Spectral also offers software solutions to help monitor and manage and also provide billing services for mm. these mini grids. So, yeah, uh, how that will all evolve is uh, is very, uh, well, uh, difficult to predict. Mm. Uh, but there is definitely a scenario where more and more fragmentation happens in the sense that all, there's more and more mini grids uh, sort of being serviced by commercial entities, which creates a, a certain level of competition Uh, to be the most efficient in providing those um, management Mm. services. And that competition doesn't exist when you're talking about the regulated grid operators. Mm. So again, this could exacerbate the problem of, you know, you have the grid operators are usually owned by municipalities. They have more of a public service Mm. mentality, which doesn't often result in efficient processes or keeping overhead costs low. Mm. So if you suddenly have, you know, these smaller mini grids or areas that are serviced by more efficient commercial entities that can sort of do it at a, at a better price, yeah, mm. that again creates more and more incentive for people to sort of opt out of the public grid situation mm. and invest into their own microgrids. Mm. So yeah, uh, I do see that these factors will uh, impact how the uh, the market is uh, formed in the future. Absolutely. Do you think, I mean, you must have had some interactions with, with regulators, uh, etc. How do they, uh, and, 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 and TSOs, you mentioned Tenet earlier, and some of the distribution system operators, are, are the regulators interested or how do they view these kind of projects? Are they Are they encouraging or a little bit more kind of conservative? Uh, No, uh, definitely interested. I mean, in fact, this uh, special legal exemption I mentioned that we're making use of not only at Schoonscape, but at several other projects, the Experimenteerregeling, it's called in Dutch, so the experimental exemption uh, loosely translated. That was created by the Ministry of uh, Economic Affairs, uh, essentially as a uh, precursor to regulatory change to really uh, see, okay, uh, they give out a limited number of permits per year with the goal of actually examining through practical applications, pilot projects, Mm. how uh, should the regulatory frameworks be adapted uh, to just make this part of the law, uh, the electricity Mm. law. Mm. Uh, And so actually, given that we're uh, amongst the the first companies and I think the only company in the Netherlands really uh, pushing the boundaries on these innovative uh, smart microgrids, the regulators are very eagerly looking at how we're setting things up. Uh, I've had 
numerous conversations with the tax authorities. I mean, also the tariff structures and how we communicate those to consumers have to be approved mm. by the consumer regulator, uh, the ACM here, mm. uh, and the RVO is the um, the, the governmental organization within the Netherlands responsible for actually giving out these permits on behalf of the Ministry of Economic Affairs. Mm. And we work very closely with the representatives from the RVO, also giving our feedback on you know which aspects of this permit are sort of blocking um, mm. innovation. Which which uh, kind of yeah laws should be in place to make sure that it's fair, uh, but also encouraging uh, mm. investments into renewables and accelerating the uh, transition. Philip, we could go on for hours here, but uh, it's uh, fascinating to to hear all this. And uh, thank you very much for um, giving us a glimpse of the future, if you like, a sort of a brave new world. So thank you very much for joining us. I think we could say. Uh, uh, blockchain is certainly not dead yet. No, certainly not. And uh, a lot of other uh, innovative technology is underway. So thanks, Richard, for uh, hosting and for inviting me to, to join the podcast. And uh, I hope all the listeners uh, found it interesting. I'm sure they did. That's all for now. Um, please follow all the, the latest energy news on montelnews.com and on LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, you can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Goodbye.